0: This podcast is supported by Siemens, your partner for industrial-grade AI. Hi there. Welcome to a new episode of the Industrial AI Podcast. My name is Peter Sieberg, and my guest today is Lukas Höndorf. He is the Program Manager, Artificial Intelligence Aviation, at IABG, uh, Lucas and I are going to talk about safeguarding AI. Hello, Lucas. Good morning, Peter. Thank you very much for the invitation. It's an honor to be here. You're welcome. Looking forward to Please introduce yourself to our listeners. Uh, let us know what
1: you do at IABG. My name is Lucas Höndorf. I work for IABG now for around three years. First as a data scientist and quite recently as a program manager for artificial intelligence and safe AI systems. So the topic started quite small three years ago and it got bigger and bigger as as we know also AI is a raising topic. And yeah, this also comes down to us at, at IABG. So I think it makes sense if I introduce the the company first a bit.
0: Yes, please do so before we dive into safeguarding AI. Yes, I mean, I know a little bit. You happen to be, but well, that's just by coincidence, not too far away from where I'm based. But uh, please tell our listeners, who is
1: IABG? Yes, so IABG stands for Industrieanlagen Betriebsgesellschaft. We are a test and analysis as well as a technical consultant company. Uh, with a headquarter in Ottobrunn in the south of Munich, we have around one thousand one hundred employees and our main fields are foreign testing and analysis services in in automotive in in aviation. Um, so I think for most of the Airbus aircraft we we have conducted structural testing. We have a very big base testing center at IAPG. So also there, I think most, if not all of the European satellites and and equipment that sent to space is somehow going through our test facilities. We have a field called Infocom that's also including uh, cybersecurity aspects. And we also are active in the defense industry. I personally come from subdivision of IAPG, which is called the Innovation Center, so, uh, the idea is that with the modern topics that are upcoming, such as artificial intelligence, as an example, it's like we investigate how these topics, these modern topics can be, can be used for, for the, let's say, main divisions of IABG. So the Innovation Center was founded around 10 years ago. And yeah, also the Innovation Center got bigger and bigger. And yeah, we, our aim is to, to support the, main divisions or the other divisions of of IABG that are offering their services. And we try to think how these new methods and new ideas, essentially from research, but not just from research, can be used for, for the future portfolio of IABG.
0: Very good. And that's what we're going to be looking, that's what we're going to be talking about, at least one specific topic, safe AI, just to bring that together. So in the future, if people see wherever they are in the world, if if they recognize above there a plane, which would be like an Airbus, there would be a very high chance that the parts, uh, let's say the wing of an Airbus uh, in the past has been somehow Put tested in your
1: facilities, right? Yes, of course not for every individual um, aircraft, but no, um, no, it's the just, model, of right. course. So when when you start developing the, the the aircraft, so at the beginning you have to conduct proper testing. Um, and one of the famous things that that IABG, as I said, has, has done is, for example, the structural test of the A three hundred and eighty. Yeah, around I fifteen years ago, or something like this.
0: Okay, so let's then move into uh, safe AI. Tell us about safe AI and your team at AIBG. When
1: we talk about safe AI, so one thing maybe to mention first, it's that's a v- very big topic. And we usually differentiate the things in, in, in three main pillars. So the first pillar we we call the methods and tools. So of course when you um let's say have the vision like we at IBG have that in the future we would like to offer certification and testing services of, of AI systems as well as offer uh, consultancy regarding AI in the future, you need to know about the methods and, and tools that are available that you can use to to conduct these kind of testing. So that's the first main pillar. I guess throughout the, the next minutes, we will go into a bit more details of, of each of the pillars, but just to give you a rough overview it. for now, that's the first pillar. Second pillar we call operationalization, so here we talk about IT systems, for example. So let's assume we we have a customer; they have some kind of AI developing platform, framework, pipeline. How can we, with let's say, in case we have a we have a safe AI module, how can we efficiently, let's say, test their algorithms from an IT perspective? How do the interfaces look like? Do we make the testing? At our premises, do we integrate something uh, at the customer? Those kind of aspects are considered there. Also, we run several projects as part of the second main pillar that we call operationalization. And the third main pillar is standardization. So here, the idea is that whatever we can offer in the future or whatever the the law situation or the standards are out there, this heavily depends on our portfolio. So we investigate current AI standardization project on the different levels, so be it on the international level, on the iso iec level, or in Europe, We, I'm sure we will talk about this today as well. We have the AI Act that then also is connected to, to the activities at uh, Senelec JTC21, and we have the German national level at DIN and DKE, where there are committees that essentially mirror the international activities and the European activities. And then in some cases develop a, a German delegation opinion and position for those activities. So these were the more general activities and for us as a company, but of course, also for me personally, um, also interesting is, is the aviation field where there are also activities ongoing in, in, in standardization.
0: Okay, we'll we'll move into exactly that topic just in a moment. I read somewhere that you said you're currently focusing on computer vision applications. Is that still accurate? As
1: part of CVI, yes, that's accurate. So when we started CVI, it was simply the the most tangible topic for us. So considering also the background of of IABG and its connection mainly to, to aviation and to automotive, We directly see some good application areas that fit to the company, but we also have, let's say, that also fit our personal backgrounds. So that's where we started. However, for SAVI, we are dealing with computer vision mainly at the moment. This will probably also change next year, but also other teams of our innovation center are already dealing with other aspects such as NLP. We have a very strong NLP team. People deal with reinforcement learning. So this Current focus on computer vision holds for for what we call Safe AI in The reason I was uh, asking is, and I'm going to share
0: with you uh, a quote that I heard in a different podcast with uh, Andre Carpati. You may know him, or listeners may know him, he's the former director of uh, AI at Tesla, a podcast with Lex Friedman. And and he specifically says, quote unquote, uh, pixels are a beautiful sensor, cameras are very cheap, and they provide a ton of bits. Vision is probably the highest bandwidth sensor. It's the sensor that humans use, and therefore everything is designed for that sensor, quote-unquote. Now, you already said, sure, you're going to be doing other things, but in how far would you agree with um, Andre? It's not a, you know, just a per accident that you started with computer vision, I guess?
1: It's a very good question, and let's say the underlying situation is also that Tesla is... Let's say solely using com- computer vision uh, right, and right. cameras for their perception system, right? And, and I think also it's a big discussion whether they should also use something like LiDAR sensors um, that's, that's often used for other car companies. So they have quite strong opinion. And as you said, uh, Andre yeah, represented that company for a very long time and is one of the, as you said, former directors, one of the main AI people there. So it's an interesting question. So we, we also had, uh, it was essentially a research or a conference paper where we also tried to think what we did in, in Save the Eye so far, mainly in the aviation side, how to put this into automation. And I guess we might also talk about this later on. We we will, yeah. One thing that we did is, is data fusion. And we had, in my opinion, a quite nice uh, idea there, how to use AI computer vision, and especially a characterization of its uncertainty in a a popular data fusion algorithm. So we thought about how this could be applied in in automotive. So we didn't duck into many details there, but I still believe that at least it can be beneficial to have additional sensors such as cameras. So everyone, as, as you are well aware, and probably most of our listeners, Whenever there is a, a Tesla accident, then this goes through, through the media and, and every, all the details of the accidents are, are then discussed. I remember, I think the first one was somewhere in California where the car then oversaw this white truck and unfortunately crashed into it and then the driver died. And um, then the questions raises, um, yeah, if you had a LiDAR sensor, m- probably somehow this, this truck could have been, could have been seen. So. I mean, the future will show what will be the correct thing. I can imagine that there will be some car manufacturers that will also use additional sensors to to cameras. And uh, bottom line, humans do not only use our
0: eyes. We also have ears, we have a nose, and we have a couple of other sensors, right? So, uh, But then let's see if uh, maybe the answer, actually, I would almost assume lies in you know compliance so you make sure that ai regulations are taken into account so you already mentioned what role does then the european ai act play and maybe you can even give us a quick update on where we're standing i believe you know we're almost at the finish there and second question you already gave a preliminary answer do other regulations then exist on a
1: global on a european on a german level so the European AI Act, I think in its first version, was published last year, so in 2021, in April. And then, I mean, I'm not an expert on, on European lawmaking, but there's a rather long process now um, that it's that it's going through. I personally, I think, quite soon after it was published, I, I read through the AI Act, and there's a lot of relevant information, obviously. And however, it's a legal document in in my perspective. So after the the first draft, um, it, it went through several revisions. And in Germany, we have a very active Bitkom Arbeitskreis. It's called on on AI. That's quite closely following the activities there too. So to everyone who is interested in in the most recent updates. Um, I guess this, this Bitkom Arbeitskreis is a good place to, to be active. And the information that I have is that, I mean, there are the different, I don't know the English term, but Ratspräsidentschaft, which is regularly changing from country to country. So they are they are pushing hard now for bringing it to, to a final version. And as far as I know, there is still some uncertainty when the law will be active, but it's probably sometime around the year 2025. More interesting for us as technicians, in my opinion, is, is not this AI Act, uh, which is, in, in my opinion, a legal document, but it's the, the standardization requests um, that are, let's say, handed over to, to SenseAnelec JTC21, that's an AI committee on the European uh, level, that essentially said, dear JTC21, please develop standards regarding these 10 uh, topics. I think it was 10. And this is now the big job of this of this committee to develop the standard ideally, or let's say necessarily, until the law then gets effective approximately in the year 2025. And I mean, these standards are then really technical standards. So they give more technical details than the AI Act does. And there is now a, a big discussion in this committee, let's say, which standards to start from, from scratch and for which standards we can refer to projects from the iso iec level, for example.
0: Okay, moving into a number of steps of more detail, talking about robustness, which is one of the requirements of the European AI Act. You have developed, I think, what you believe, a, a safe AI toolbox. Can you tell us what that is about?
1: Yes, so in terms of robustness, I mean, what's what's typically done and what, what we also do is that you have a... In our case, the computer vision algorithms that is supposed to, to detect some objects in, in an image or in a, in a video stream. So our main example that we, that we had over the last years is that we consider a drone vertically landing on the landing pad. And we then have an AI computer vision algorithm on board that is detecting the landing pad. And yeah, it's essentially giving this information plus deriving the uncertainty about this information where the landing pad is exactly and then passing this information on to the flight control algorithm and then certain things happen. So what we did in terms of robustness is that what happens now if you have a certain image, what happens if you if you augment this image or if you disturb this image and, and there are a couple of tools available that you can, I mean, first of all, the, the very basic image characteristics, such as you can turn it a bit or you can crop it, you can enlarge or shrink it, rotate it and see how the AI performs. So These are probably the most basic things that you can do, or you can use some some filter techniques um, to change the image. There are toolboxes that you give an effect of, of snow or, or fog into the image. So that's one thing that you can do, that you essentially have an image and use those augmentation methods and then see... Okay, how does the algorithm perform and and how is the uncertainty characteristics um, based on the original image compared to the augmented image?
0: Yeah that's a very nice example I was actually personally part not too long ago of um what is it a is a is it a restart the plane is just above your schedule to touch down in the next 5 seconds and then suddenly it restarts again which is a very frightening thing if you haven't experienced it and that was because of fog so now you give the example of fog so Uh, That was a very small airport. I believe these days there are systems which will bring the airplane down kind of automatically by systems. But in this case, let's compare this situation. I assume that in that case, the captain or who was the person flying uh, the plane, was making a decision. I do not see enough. I, human, do not see enough. It's too, too dangerous. Uh, it's a risk. So that's, um, as you said, you know, compare that to the algorithm. That's the kind of uh, tests that you would do, and the, you would be looking at the certainty of the artificial intelligence application at that
1: time when you simulate fog on the image correct you can say this so first to the to the real case i mean there can be several reasons of course why why the the pilots then abort the landing it can be due to visibility that you don't properly see the the runway it can be through a runway incursion that maybe other aircraft uh, are still on the runway or enter the runway so it can of obviously various various reasons but yeah something similar we we can also do with this with this fog example and what you also then i mean have in a in a real world system Especially in aviation, where safety is such a central aspect, is that you have very mature requirements. Like, what is the system that you want to build? Which requirements does it need to fulfill? And yeah, based on these requirements, then you have on the system, you can essentially derive the tests that you want to make. And in aviation, st- sticking with this example. So you have very clear examples or requirements at which visibility conditions. Let's say which kind of, of systems of the aircraft need to be active. Of course, if you have modern aircraft, they it's also technically possible that you can lie in zero visibility conditions, but then certain systems need to be active and used, such as an Autoland system or a head-up guidance system. So it's a question then how your system is built up. And for aircraft and, and aviation systems, this typically gets very complicated due to yeah, safety is, is so central.
0: Right. We may nevertheless stay with uh, aviation. That's perfectly okay. But just mention quickly, maybe there are other applications in other areas for which you provide safety AI solutions as well?
1: Yes. So we started going into automotive in, let's say, so far in an internal project. It's about then detection of passengers. I mean, that's, I think, one of the main challenge or if you compare the aviation uh, industry from automotive and especially concerning this AI perception algorithms is in aviation you are in a very controlled environment in automotive you are driving on on streets through cities there is I don't know next to you there is a pathway there are potentially uh, kids playing around and and passengers very nearby you so that's a, a huge challenge I believe and um, in this internal project we now also investigate um, how can algorithms that, yeah, detect passengers that, that might be very near to, to your car, how these kind of algorithms can be, can be tested and which kind of characteristics they, they need to fulfill. But this is, of course, also a very big topic. I mean, probably you are aware, maybe you even had it in one of your podcasts in Germany. There is this, this big, uh, KI absicherung project. It has been going on now for several years with a very big consortium, including the, the main automotive manufacturers. So I think it was also a big topic there, and there were several publications uh, from that project.
0: Okay, let's move on into the DIN SPEC 92005 called Artificial Intelligence Uncertainty Quantification in Machine Learning. Can you give us a
1: quick introduction what that's all about, please? Yes, I would like to go back here and to the three main pillars that we said. So the first one was the methods and tools that we investigated in IBG. And one of the points where we dig a bit deeper was how can uncertainties be quantified, uncertainties of machine learning algorithms, in our case, computer vision algorithms. And there we really investigated, okay, what's really the current state of, of research and how can we implement this and how can we use this? And The third pillar was standardization, and we we saw that for most of the topics out there, such as robustness, such as explainability, such as ethics, and so on, there are standardization projects that are ongoing, mainly currently on on the ISO-IC level for AI, so the JTC1 SC42, it's called uh, the Committee for AI on that level. There are various projects ongoing. However, we realized that for uncertainty quantification, which is in our case, especially for safety critical applications, a very central topic, we realized that there is no standardization project going. I mean, none specifically for that topic. And of course, the topic somehow is, is mentioned in, in other standards such as robustness, but I mean, not to a very big level of detail. And we found this out maybe around one, one year ago and we, we then asked some people. I mean, we, we were active in the community also at Dean. Um, we discussed this with, with some people and they said, yeah, you're, you're right. This topic is, there is not much activity going on. In fact, we learned that it, it was discussed at the beginning, um, of, of SC42. So of the ISO IC committee level. However, they said, let's focus for now on, on other topics. So people motivated us to start a standardization project. And Dean Spec is, let's say, a first step. So it's a national project. Obviously, it's it's organized by Dean, and it's like a first step towards a, a full standard. So it's uh, usually the the application process is a bit easier, um, and you can find a consortium and you can essentially start working on it. And yeah, this was this is what we have been going through in the in the last months. And then finally, the kickoff was. Around two weeks ago, on November 18th, we had the kickoff. And yeah, it was really a good start, I would say. So we we had a very active consortium. There were some people we knew from the activities of the last years, but there were also some, let's say, newcomers in in standardization. Some people who, for example, made their their PhD research for, for several years on on this topic or even a sub sub topic let's say of certainty quantification in machine learning so we we really I mean, I it was the first DeanSpec kickoff I, I attended, but uh, I mean, we really used the, the entire three hours and had really, for the majority, also a very good technical discussion. At the beginning, you start with some organizational aspects, of course, that are necessary. But the remaining of the time, we, we had really good technical discussions. And the next meeting for it is now December 18th, I believe. No, sorry, December 16th is the next meeting. And our job now is being the the initiator and and the project leader is that we consolidate the discussions from from the kickoff meeting, develop the next version of the document that's then, yeah, continue being developed in the next uh, months and and, and discussed, of course.
0: Let me uh, bring in my infamous hypothesis that whenever we will be Embedding machine learning, so probability-based systems, into you know whatever kind of automation, be it aviation, you know, uh, be it whatever, coffee machines or other automated systems. Yeah, my hypothesis is that we're always going to need a, a rules-based loop around any kind of such a system where the rubber hits the road. So, you know, if we're going to allow an autonomous system to say, you know, up or down, left or right, whatever, that that we're somehow going to need a rule-based system. And then maybe that's now my assumption, looking at the outcome of your quantifying your uncertainty and then letting, you know, the proposal of the machine learning-based system through or not. Is that a thought that you can follow, support, or... Yes,
1: I fully agree with you. There is one standard that we have identified in approximately the second year of our of our Save AI uh, project or program that's bringing up a concept of run... It's called runtime assurance. Um, specifically, it's an ASTM standard for, for aviation. But I think it goes in a very similar direction to, to what you said, that essentially, if you have... They call it in their standard uh, a, complex, a complex function, which, for example, can be an AI object detection system. They say one way to, to, to realize this is to build a, a, something like a safety monitor ar- around this um, that's checking the outcomes of the complex function, such as an AI, and decides then can this function output be, be used for the following steps or should there be i mean they call it then recovery function that are maybe not as complex but follow more traditional um, more traditional ways so i think this is uh, going in a very similar direction to to what you said yeah.
0: Sounds a bit like, yeah, oh, very, very happy to hear that. I wasn't aware <laughs> of um, of that uh, of that development. Yeah, so you already mentioned, so maybe you tell us a little bit more about how, how that's going to work. I mean, you, you are at the first steps. We don't want to know the details of, unless at the end you're very happy to share, maybe there's other listeners that will be interested of joining if that is still the case, but how would you go about quantifying uncertainties? And interestingly, I I did two studies myself in the Netherlands, and one of them I finished with the topic of, at that time, the quantification of quality. So I'm very, uh, I forgot most of it, I guess, but I'm very much interested in, you know, what is the, maybe the base, the thought, maybe it's too early for that, but the base thought on how you quantify uncertainty from machine
1: learning. So I think there that- are two ways to answer this question on a technical basis and on a, let's say, organizational basis, how this dean spec will proceed. So let's start with the technical uh, level. At the beginning of our Save initiative, we, we quite quickly got to a PhD thesis of, of in the meantime, professor from, from England called Jaren Gall, where he used the concept of dropout for deep learning systems to quantify uncertainty. So we at that time had the plan to use the object detection deep learning neural network to detect this this landing pad, as I said before. And what is now Dropout? Dropout is a, let's say, traditional regularization concept. So the idea is to avoid overfitting, you must not rely too much on single neurons. So there is this concept to, based on a probabilistic approach, deactivate some of the neurons and then, let's say, retrain the algorithm in an, on an iterative level. So the idea is to deactivate, let's say, 5% uh, percent of the neurons and we iteratively do this. They're not always the same. Neurons are deactivated. So that's, in, in a nutshell, the main idea of, of dropout. And that person had then the idea to, if you have one deep learning model, for example, for computer vision tasks, that you use this dropout concept to derive, let's say, 10 or 20 slightly different versions of this, of this model. And now the intuitive idea, that's in fact also the correct idea, but the nice thing is that's so intuitive, is... What about if you have now one image that you plug, that you push in all of these 10 or 20 slightly different models? Of course, you will get 10 or 20, let's say 10 to to make it easier. You will get 10 different results, obviously, because you, you had 10 slightly different models. And now the question is how different these 10 outcomes are from each other gives you a feeling for how certain the model is about the prediction. So if the 10 outcomes are very different, then it's an indication for the uncertainty is high. While if if they are very similar to each other, then you you can assume a, a higher certainty so a lower uncertainty.
0: Sounds like sounds like deviation, something like standard deviation, or is that yes. too easy? Yes. Okay. At the end yes. <laughs> okay. Sounds great. So
1: that's really I mean then the nice intuitive idea we, we had at the beginning then we said okay let's let's use this also realize I mean this is um, of course there's a, a huge amount of mathematics behind this so it's really just the, the intuitive idea and the devil is always in, in the details of course. But we like this idea and we, we followed we followed this and, and used it also then then throughout our, our project. Very good. And number two is organizationally you said? Correct. So the Dean Spec we will carry it out for around ten months more. So we, we expect to finish probably mid or, or late summer uh, next year, we will have approximately once a month, we will have video conferences to discuss the progress of, of the document. The idea is to, I mean, there are different ideas. So first of all, we would l- like to collect all the the terms that are related to uncertainty quantification in machine learning. So that's a typical thing you, you have in standards that all the relevant terms are, are introduced or in the main cases, referenced and taken from from other standards, but the standards should should be um, also self explaining So you collect all all the terms, and in, in in our case, it will be obviously there will be relevant terms from the AI field, and there will be relevant terms from from uncertainty quantification and and statistics. The second idea we have is that we collect methods that are available. For doing these kind of quantifications and find a way to categorize them. So, for example, you might have very powerful methods, however, they might require heavy hardware and a long computational time. So, one way to categorize these kind of methods is how what are your requirements regarding real-time applicability or how much hardware you have available. And it's of course different if you run an algorithm, maybe in a on a big supercomputer cluster compared to if you fly a drone you maybe have a, a, a tiny edge device so these are requirements that have an effect on which method you can you can use so yeah the idea here is to give an overview about the available methods and how to look at these methods like how to categorize them and give some indication which methods can be can be used in in which um in which situation okay a further point of the Dean spec and probably the the main part of it will be to formulate guidelines and 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 potential requirements for running these kind of algorithms so there are aspects like first of all think about which kind of uncertainties you would like to model with with the algorithm which kind of uncertainties are relevant for for the applications and which kind of steps that are typically uh, need to be, need to be gone through, such as um of course calibration of the of the uncertainty quantification algorithm based on, on ground truth. Okay and the last part that we plan to bring in the the Dean bag is a collection of use cases where essentially all the consortium members that are active in this field can provide and describe the the use cases. Okay, sounds great. Now
0: let's return to your working environment at uh, IABG. Can you share with us one or the other thing about your uh, development environment? You know, you're using certain platforms. You talked already about Edge and cloud as differences. You're using certain languages, certain
1: libraries, things you can share with us. So as I said at the beginning already of the conversation, I come from uh, the division called Innovation Center, which is quite young, and we have one IT infrastructure team that's building the IT infrastructure that's that's used in in our team, and also we we now more and more give access to to it um, to other IoG people. So we have a, a cluster running. We have we have GitLab. We have various tools um, that that you need to to develop uh, I, IT projects. And um, yeah, more and more these these tools, also like cooperative tools like uh, Confluence and Jira, more and more we we now move it out of the innovation center to also give people of of the other divisions access access to this.
0: Okay. How about your team? How many are you? What do each of them do? What are the the typical roles? Maybe you're even looking for colleagues to join, and if so, what should they bring to the team? Also, as we talk about it, not sure you're still looking for other companies, persons to join your din SPEC 92000
1: Yes, so the innovation center itself, I would say, for IBG, it was quite a success story. So within the last years, we got bigger and bigger, um, and now in fact, we are part of a of a restructuring process. Um, so there are always new people welcome. So if you if you look at the uh, the career page of, of the IBG uh, uh, there are various uh, open positions on on all levels. Be it as a working student. Or uh, as a, as a recent graduate or uh, as an experienced uh, person, everything related to IT, to data science, um, especially fitting to the, to the uh, engineering background of, of IABG. Cybersecurity is a big topic for, for IABG, for our team. So everyone is welcome to, yeah, look at our career page and identify the role that, that's fitting for you. And of course, also outside of IABG, we have the Steenspec Consortium. It's open for new consortium members. So even though the kickoff already took place, if you're interested in this topic, feel free to contact me or to contact Dean directly. You should also find this this Steenspec uh, called Uncertainty Quantification in Machine Learning on the internet and then feel free to reach out to us.
0: Very good. We'll provide your details just in a moment. Coming to a close. So from your perspective where are we standing then as far as safe ai is concerned in you know in europe in germany maybe relative to the rest of the world you know united states china asia and and how do you see that safe ai is going to change the world of you know analysis simulation testing uh, over the next whatever you know five or ten years
1: so people usually say that Europe, you know, needs to keep track of the developments going on in, in, in USA and, and in China. And it's correct. So those countries are, of course, leading in, in this field and, and push a lot into the direction of developing or also testing of, of AI systems. However, Europe shouldn't make themselves smaller than we are. Um, so a nice example that I had, I think one of the last uh, Olympic Games where you have then, you know, at the end, always these rankings about which country has how many has how many medals and at the end there was one after the tournament there was one publication by by European Commission who then summed up all of the European countries and, and then they were by far um, <laughs> leading uh, this this uh, ranking of, of medals of the okay. tournament so um, yeah Europe is in a good position of course we, we can catch up with, with the developments of, of those main players main player countries but we are in a good position ai will will be further be be relevant and i mean if you look at how fast the developments are uh, and i mean one of the things uh, that that started my my intention for ai and how po- powerful is um, this discussion about AlphaGo in 2016, and all the, the developments are of DeepMind. So they are really pushing the boundaries of, of AI, in my opinion, of Tesla. So it's really a technology with a very big uh, potential in the future. And of course, if you use it in safety critical systems, safe AI is something is something necessary. And yeah, we as, as Europe, especially in Germany, there is a big political push in this direction. So Probably you heard about the D-Normungs Roadmap, which will be now published very soon in its second uh, edition where, let's say, also political interest is there to let the companies develop in this direction. So we as Europe, and particularly we as Germany, we are in a good position. We can um, catch up with with those leading countries and then have a very interesting and exciting future of, of AI and in particular of safe AI systems.
0: Looking forward to Lukas. Thank you very much. Yes, we're only the European Union today, but we shouldn't be too modest. It's one of our values, actually. I believe, as in general, as Europeans, but we 're not yet the United States of Europe, if that would ever be uh, the case then I think you're suggesting indirectly, it would be easier to compare the United States of Europe with uh, the United States uh, of America and you know China, other countries, so yeah, as you say looking uh, looking forward to, and we can be modest, but we should also be aware of what it is that we are. And, you know, you were one very great example of that uh, today, sharing with us what it is that you as a company and together with many other uh, companies you're doing um, on the area of uh, safe AI. So, Lucas, thank you very much. Listeners that want to get in touch with you, you know, specifically regarding maybe IABG, your work or the work of the Dinspec 92004. Five. Uh, they can best contact you at uh, LinkedIn. That's uh, Lukas Höndorf, uh, L-U-K-A-S. And then Höndorf goes with um, um, H-O with two dots on it. N-D-O-R-F at A-I-B-G. Otherwise, if you, dear listeners, have any questions, comments, you can always send me an email as well, peter at ai D-E. Very happy that you stayed with us so far. Looking forward to have you with us again. Lucas, thank you again. See you soon. As I said, we're actually not too far away from each other, so I may just pop in for a cup of coffee sometimes. <laughs> thank you very much. Have a wonderful
1: day. Thank you very much, Peter. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.